listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people, mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode number 376. I'm your host, Brian Ego, also known as Eggman, and joining me today is Pontus Bookman. All right, Trips. Hey, Sanesa. Welcome back, Brian. Thanks very much. I, I feel like I should moderate my introduction there, right? Because, <laughs> you know, Trips usually means more than one person, and yes. there's only one of you, Pontus. Fortunately, there's only one of me, yes. Don't get me wrong, you know, you're you're a man amongst men. Yeah, but but we're we're kind of down on numbers and super sub Brian's been brought into the mix again, right? So exactly, you're um, the guy we call in when everything else fails. Exactly. So, so let let's start off by explaining where where the hell are the other two? Well, Andras, of course, is traveling as usual. I I don't even know. I I can't keep track. But he is away and couldn't. He said something about being in a bus at this moment or something Ooh. to the effect i don't know he's he's away okay annika uh, unfortunately is a little bit under the weather nothing serious she has a cold or something and uh, she has a sore throat and her voice isn't what it's supposed to be so well we have you instead lucky you lucky audience members get well soon though annika uh, yes. folks listeners send send your love to annika i'm sure she'll be better hopefully she's gonna be better by the time uh the third weekend in September rolls around Pontus, right? Oh, We've all got something yes. in our calendars then, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. So, we're, of course, talking about QED. What's the exact date? Do you have them? It is 23rd and 24th of September. Yes. Uh, but you should get there a little bit in advance if well, you can. Yeah, we definitely recommend you get there on the Friday. Um, not that we can announce anything on the Friday yet, but, you know, uh, well, in, in previous years... There's been this great thing called Skepticamp on the Friday, yes. uh, the day before QED starts. Now, we yeah. obviously can't comment on whether that's going to happen again this year, no. but I was involved in the running of Skepticamp last year. I'm going to be there on the Friday this year. Make Let's of that, that what way. you will, folks. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So the reason also to mention QED, of course, is that now the tickets are out. As we record this, the tickets, they went out yesterday, right? They did. First of May, they went out. Yeah, I've yeah. got my ticket. Do you have yours? Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Excellent. And I managed to, to get my hands on one of those dinner tickets as well. I think they are already gone. So I, for I the gala they, dinner. Yeah, yeah, they went really quickly. And apparently, like, first day ticket sales for QED was, like, one of the best ever. So yeah. it's great to see. I've been enjoying everybody on social media kind of saying they're snapped up tickets and they're going and stuff. So there's a nice buzz around the around the little skeptical universe at the moment and i booked up my accommodation as well i'm not staying at the mercure i've got a a sort of airbnb thing booked because i'm bringing my in-laws along with me to help look after the child so smart move smart move all hands on deck but yeah it's going to be fantastic Uh, there's been some speaker announcements already so folks if you want to know more get to qedcon.org and follow them on the socials and, you know, listen to the European Skeptics podcast because we'll Why be not? giving you regular updates as yes. we get along there. Yeah, and they are they are constantly now announcing new speakers as they are getting them confirmed and so on. So there's news updates all the time on, on the website at QED, qedcon.org. All right, so, so what else has been going on then, Pontus? Any other skeptical news? S- skeptic? Oh, well, there's a lot going on. First, 
first, just a little anecdote. I am actually, as I say sometimes, and people may not believe it, I am working in finance <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> and today, as we record this, the 2nd of May, is the final day for filing your taxes in Sweden. So Ooh. I have a few clients that have been uh, keeping me very busy over the, over the last couple of days, but I think I've got it all sorted. Had to ask for an extension for some of them, but uh, it's all good. So, but that's that's just well. What I wanted to say was, people are telling me I'm too nice. I'm not charging enough for my services. So one person said, "Why don't you work pro bono instead? That's what you really want to do." So I said. I don't see how that helps. I mean, if I'm working for peanuts, it's I still get peanuts. You still get working peanuts, for yeah. pro bono is not helping. It's not an alternative. It's not a career move. Anyway, no. Uh, if only we could rely on the patrons of the European ooh. Skeptics podcast, you know. But then we'd be expecting you to be full time skeptic rather than finance man, if that was the case. Yeah, well, right, right. And, um, you know, it's not like we want to ask people to go to patreon.com slash the ESP and pledge to send us a few bucks for every episode. We we wouldn't ask that of you. We wouldn't ask that. No, no. <laughs> so, hey, interesting things in the ego world recently in sceptical circles as well. I don't know if you heard Pontus, but myself and my wife were on the television recently. Um, oh, not so around these parts. You were not, no, not in Sweden. In the UK only. There's a there's a new program out on the BBC called Doctor Zan's Con or Cure. This is a program Ooh. where they they talk about alternative health and scams and that sort of thing. And Laura and I were on a recent episode talking about Laura's cancer diagnosis and some of the investigations that I did into alternative health groups on Facebook. Um, I don't think you can see it if you're outside of the UK. It's on iPlayer ah, at the bad. moment. So any UK listeners, check it out or, you know, message me and I'll try and rip a copy of it. Shh, don't tell anybody. I'll put it on like <laughs> BitTorrent or something yeah. for you, right? But I'll give you a spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, Facebook's not a good place to get medical advice. Oh, um, don't say. You don't shocker, say. right? So if you want... If you do want to know more about that, sure, I can send you a copy if you really want. But if anybody's going to be in the vicinity of Edinburgh on the 11th of May, then I'm going to be speaking for Edinburgh Skeptics about that very topic that night. So come check me out if you're uh, if you're anywhere nearby. Oh, I wish I could. I would. I would if I could. Just to make sure people are, are don't get the wrong impression, the cancer diagnosis was a couple of years ago and she's fine, right? Yes, Laura's doing very well. Thank you to the good. conventional treatment of the National Health Service in the UK. Ah. Thank you for asking. Yeah, right. Very good. Very good. Okay. okay. So, yes, I do have a, a skeptical news as well. Um, Ooh, to, even to more. Say. Yes. Uh, by the time this comes out, it'll be Friday. Then we will have a skeptical quiz here in Malmö, where I live. And it is the lead up to the annual skeptics meeting a Swedish annual skeptics meeting, which is on Saturday. And we have a celebrity guest from the UK. It is Brian Deere, who uh, was the journalist who really put the nail in the coffin. Well, I wish he'd, it actually worked like that, but he wrote uh, about Andrew Wakefield and the fraudulent uh, research, so-called research, that uh, tried to, to say that uh, autism could be a side effect of vaccines. 
And so, uh, yeah, so he he is amongst the top five Brian's in uh, skepticism. As uh, Brian's so go, he's, he's quite good. Yeah. Yes, and he's been, he's been interviewed on this show before, right? He's, I recall. He, yes, he was here a couple of years ago when his book came out. A book is called "The Doctor Who Fooled the World." And he will be speaking for the... Actually, I will interview him in front of the annual assembly there. Uh, what on the, a treat. Yeah, great. So, hey, and also, by the way, if there's any time-travelling sceptics, by the time this goes out, I will have spoken for Barnsley sceptics. I'm going there this Thursday night to talk about moon landing denial. Uh, so, you know, hop in your uh, DeLorean folks and uh, get yourselves <laughs> to Barnsley on the 4th of uh, May. So, I think we've had enough preamble. It's time to get stuck into regular items. We're going to start off with This Week in Skeptical History, also known as Twish. So, uh, on this day in 1925, Tennessee authorities arrested John Scopes, uh, a substitute high school teacher, for teaching evolution. They charged him with having violated a newly enacted law that criminalised the teaching of human evolution in the state's public school. So this led to the famous Scopes Monkey Trial. Have you heard of this, Pontus? I have, I have, yeah. I'd heard of it. Disappointingly, no monkeys were involved in the trial. Um, Sorry for the spoiler, listeners. So, uh, earlier that year, in 1925, the Tennessee State uh, Legislature had passed a bill that banned the teaching of evolution in all educational institutions throughout the state. Uh, The Butler Act set off alarm bells around the countries, and the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, responded immediately with an offer to defend any teacher prosecuted under that law. So John Scopes, a young, apparently popular high school teacher at the time, agreed to stand as a defendant in the test case. Now, Pontus, let's test your Mm sceptical knowledge. Did they win that trial or did they lose? I believe he got fined. He did indeed get fined. Right, so the attempt uh, was to demonstrate that the Tennessee law was unconstitutional because it made the Bible, you may have heard of that, uh, a religious document, the standard of truth in a public institution. So the trial turned out to be a like a media feeding frenzy, apparently. There was over like a thousand people in the courthouse, a hundred newspapers worth of people packing the courtroom daily. Uh, for young people, newspapers are like news sites on the internet except on paper. The judge unsurprisingly in Tennessee, was a conservative Christian. He began each day's court proceedings with prayer and also (sighs) didn't allow the defence to call any expert scientific witnesses. The defending counsel responded with an unusual trial manoeuvre that paid off. So he called the opposing counsel, the prosecuting counsel, William Jennings Bryan. Uh, That's Bryan with a Y, not to be confused with other superior Bryans in the (laughs) sceptical circles. Um, He was uh, apparently at the time a famous Christian fundamentalist. So the defence called the prosecuting counsel as an expert witness on the Bible and then proceeded to publicly humiliate them over the course of days by questioning him on his literal interpretation of the Bible. Apparently he fell into many traps along the way, as you'd expect, and further undermined his credibility by stating, quote, I do not think about things I do not think about. Um, (laughs) That's a t-shirt. 
And, you know, that is definitely the, the poster image of uh, biblical apologists, right? He also died a week after the trial. Coincidence? Probably. Anyway, um, so yeah, you're right so. enough, Pontus. The trial only lasted eight days. The jury returned a guilty verdict in less than 10 minutes. John Scopes was fined $100. But the publicity around it, I think, was was the winner, right? Um, as we've seen in other court cases, you know, you can lose it and still end up a winner in ways, right? Mm. And this really helped to sort of promote the idea that, you know, teaching scientific fact in classrooms was, in fact, a good thing. And the Butler Act, as it was in Tennessee, was never again enforced, right? But hey, you know, that was, what, 98 years ago this all happened. You'll be happy to know that everything's fine now, especially in America where teaching evolution is <laughs> oh, yeah. no problems whatsoever. No, uh, I was just going to say, I mean, we need a new one of these uh, trials now to, to do, because it hasn't gone away. Currently, it's I hear terrible things from the from Florida, especially. But uh, Florida, especially, sh- yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it, it's not a fun landscape at the moment, and the Supre- the Supreme Court of the U.S. obviously is packed with, um, or at least a, a majority of, uh, should we say, right wing fundamentalists. So it's it's not good. So hang in there, any American friends listening. Um, I'm sure better times are ahead maybe in the next three or four decades once you can uh, redress the balance in your courts. (laughs) So um, (laughs) with that slightly depressing end to the story, it's time to move on. And we are now going to get stuck into our news stories. All right, so homeopathy, classical, sceptical topic. Very big in Germany, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, more on so, that later, folks. Yeah, more on that later. So homeopathy comes from Germany, so that's part of it being very popular there. We're still waiting for their um, health minister, Karl Lauterbach, who ha- we have a lot of uh, hopes for, or did at least for a while. We want to see him come down hard on homeopathy because we, do- we know he doesn't really like it, but so far he hasn't delivered just very shortly, I think everybody listening to this show knows what homeopathy is. But if we have some newcomer, I'll just very quickly define it. Welcome, newcomers. Yes. We don't want to drive you away by using strange terminology that you do not understand. So uh, homeopathy is a scam. And that is in the sense that it is a so-called alternative medicine. Pure magical thinking. The idea is that something that causes a symptom can be used to cure a disease with the same symptom if you dilute the substance so much that there's virtually nothing in it anymore. So it doesn't make any sense. Uh, What you end up with is just a sugar pill. And uh, most of our listeners already know this, of course. So, Mm -hmm. but it's still very popular in Germany. It's also popular in other places like the Netherlands, in France, actually the UK as well. Right, Brian? Not so much in Sweden, I think. But uh, people really believe that it is medicine, so the market is huge. Since it has never been proven to work in well-controlled scientific studies, there are limits to how you can market it. But of course, you can't promote it very well by saying or putting on the label, quote, sugar pill with no active ingredient, end quote. So that's not what they do, the manufacturers. There is one such manufacturer in Germany called Hehl. I think it's H-E-E-L. But I think in German, it's probably Hehl. Maybe it's called Heel, but I, I doubt it. 
They mm. do sell homeopathy. They didn't want to put uh, this no active ingredient on the box. So they have a product called, well, I don't know how they pronounce it. I would pronounce it like Neurexan. Neurexan. Probably. Something Where's like Annika that. Where's when you need her? Yeah, Come on. exactly. I don't know. On this product, instead, they printed that clinical studies had showed that Neurexan, quote, regulates the cortisol level during stress, end quote, and, quote, helps you relax more quickly after stressful situations, end quote. And the last part was, shortens the time it takes to fall asleep and increases sleep duration by up to two hours, end quote. This is for sugar pills and a product that sells 2.6 million packages per year for a total of about 46 million euros. So this is big business. Talk about big pharma, right? This is big business. Mm -hmm. But to the rescue, the German skeptics, the GWUP, which we mentioned quite a lot, which is where Annika is on the board and, and they are very, very active. They have looked into these claims and they say that the studies, they do refer to studies um, on the web page there. But they say that these studies show no such things. So um, the GWP has now reported the company Hill for false advertising. And we shall see where it ends up. Best of luck. Well, good work by GVOP there. Yeah, um, good skeptical activism. Hopefully you can bring them to heel. Eh? Oh. Put them on the back foot. That's <laughs> fine. I've got nothing else. I just wrote those down as soon as you said the name. Um <laughs> Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, good work that. Um, So you did talk about homeopathy and its popularity in the UK. Um, Mm -hmm. Somebody who contributes to that popularity is soon to be King Charles. So, folks, this show goes out on Friday the 5th. On Saturday the 6th is the coronation of our new king, or if in the UK, our new king. So, fun things planned for that. Not not me personally. I'm going to be doing normal stuff on a Saturday. <laughs> um, but maybe some other folk will be interested in it. Not as many as you might think. But interesting story came along here from the conversation. King Charles III coronation. What the controversy over an ancient stone tells us about historical symbols in the modern age. Right. So... This symbol is called the Coronation Stone, also known as the Stone of Scone. I wondered if that was the case, yes. Yes, absolutely. Or the Stone of Destiny. So this has its own contentious history, right? And by the way, I didn't pick this story, right? So don't just think this is an aggravated Scotsman getting things in here, right? But (laughs) let me tell you, underneath the Coronation Chair... On Saturday, there will be an ancient rectangular slab of sandstone weighing approximately 152 kilograms. For those of you who don't know what that equates to, that's about two and a bit brines. Um, (laughs) The stone is a symbol of medieval Scotland, traditionally used in the inauguration ceremonies of Scottish kings until its capture by King Edward I. So... The stone is currently back in Scotland, or has been since 1996, right? But back in 1296, it was taken down to the throne uh, in Westminster. So the use of the stone on this coronation is a little bit controversial, uh, to say the least, because it's going to be taken from its home in Edinburgh Castle down to England for the coronation. Two incidents uh, in the 20th century, how the stone became an important symbol. 
Firstly, um, on Christmas Day 1950, four Glasgow University students who supported Scottish Home Rule stole the stone from Westminster Abbey. Nice work, by the way. <laughs> um, and returned to Scotland. It was found at Arbroath Abbey a few months later. Now, it's not surprising it took so long to find. Nobody wants to go to Arbroath, let alone the Abbey in there. And the son of one of the students has contributed to the current debate, arguing that it should not be included in the coronation ceremony. The stone, the stone, sorry, was returned permanently to Scotland in 1996, 700 years after its first removal. And this was in a period in which Scottish identity had become a key issue in the light of campaign for devolution and the creation of a Scottish parliament. So very interesting back and forward going on here um, about a stone with regards to King Charles's coronation now. Me personally, I don't particularly care about the stone. I mean, I, I'd advocate for the stone to be above the throne, um, <laughs> balanced very precariously. I, I'd be fine with that, but uh, whether it's below it or not, I couldn't care less. But it did, does make us think a little bit more about the upcoming coronation of Charles now. Um, I did say, with regards to interest in the coronation, at a recent poll by YouGov of 3,070 adults said 64% of respondents said they had little or no interest in the coronation. Mm. Uh, only a third said they were strongly or fairly interested in it. And if you look at young people, those aged 18 to 24, that percentage of people voicing little or no interest rose to 75%. So, you know, there's definitely, um, should we say, apathy towards the royal family and that apathy increases as the younger generations come along. Wow. And even if you look at back in April 2022, there was, you know, a fair amount of research, like 42% of Britons thought that Prince Charles should step aside when the Queen was to die and let Prince William take the throne. Now, obviously, that did not happen. It wasn't a realistic thing. But it did show that there's some particular acrimony towards Charles, right? Now, Obviously, in sceptical circles, that acrimony is high because he is um, a, a well-known proponent of, well, homeopathy, alternative medicine in general. He's endorsed acupuncture, Gerson therapy, reflexology, iridology, pulse diagnosis. And, and Ed Zard Ernst um, commented, he is proud of being called the enemy of the Enlightenment. So, ha, what? that's yeah, that's what we're in store for here um, in the UK. I guess the only thing we can be thankful for is that, in the most cases, the monarch of our country has little or no actual power on legislation. Yeah. Fingers crossed that remains the same. I, I just love how they. it's always called, it's an ancient stone. Like it makes it so. How many modern stones are there? I mean, any stone that you pick up off the ground is millions of years old, normally. That is very <laughs> true. <laughs> so it would be actually more amazing if it was a perfectly new stone. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we need to put it in more geological context when describing stones. I think so. Perfect. I think the stone the will stones. outlive the monarchy of, of the UK and most of us, I think. I would imagine so. All right. Uh, some more pseudoscience, please. Uh, well, we don't like that, but we need to talk about it. We have several times during the years criticized the WHO, the World Health Organization, for pushing TCM, 
It's another of those abbreviations. Traditional Chinese medicine. So they are doing that and they still continue to do that. It's almost like they're not listening to the ESP at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, maybe just perhaps they will instead listen to uh, a good skeptical colleague of ours called Jonathan Jerry. Jonathan, we, he's one of the good guys. We yeah. mentioned Cutie before, and if you were there last year, you will have seen him there. He was one of the speakers. Very lovely guy. I got to have a chat with him during one of the breaks there. A great guy. He has a degree in medical science, and he is one of the hosts of a podcast called The Body of Evidence that I can recommend. Listen to it, it every week. It's a fantastic podcast, yeah. Yeah. I almost said I listen to it every week, but that's a lie because it's only... It only comes out, I think, monthly or maybe bi-weekly. Never mind. It's good. Whenever it comes, it's good. And and Jonathan is a brilliant uh, science communicator, and he is with McGill University in Canada. Anyway, so Jonathan Jerry wrote an article on McGill's website pointing out a lot of the nonsense that the WHO is pushing. For one thing, the WHO, in one of their documents, has a definition of the soul. They say... And it gets worse. They say that the soul is derived from the, quote, astral organization, end quote. And this, they tell us, is distinct from the, quote, etheric organization, end quote. And I have no idea what they mean with this at all. And there's more nonsense like this in their documentation. It's magical thinking. I mean, a lot of... I should point out a lot of what the WHO does is very good. And it's a very important organization. But it has this... It's been drawn into this uh, TCM, the traditional Chinese medicine over the years, which is very disturbing. They have this, quote, traditional medicine strategy, end quote, which stresses that TCM must be tested for effectiveness so that it can be regulated. Well, it sounds nice. But as Jonathan puts it in his article, quote, how do you regulate magic, end quote. A lot of the arguments from the WHO boil down to the fact that TCM is very popular, and it is. But we all know we also know that that's not a very good test for if something works or not. For a long time, medical bleeding was very popular. It wasn't until we tested it scientifically that we realized that it wasn't working. So uh, I just wanted to give a little push for this article. We will put the uh, link in the show notes, of course, and I think it's a good read. Yeah, for sure. And look, you know, I think we've touched on the the WHO before, and this is this is why skepticism is important, right? Because we're talking about an organisation that, in general, is of public benefit. But you need to know when to figure out whether to believe them, whether to follow their guidance or not, uh, and and be aware that you know behemoth organisations like that can quite easily become corrupted in some ways, right? We know that obviously. You can go and look at quote-unquote journals with many, many papers about the effectiveness of traditional Chinese medicine. And, you know, at a glance, it would seem compelling, right? But, you know, uh, as a generalization, we know that the studies are uh, very, very poorly done. There's, There's file drawer effect going on. There's all sorts of manipulation of data and reliability problems. So... This is when you need to think very critically, folks. And and in this case, yeah, not not surprised to hear that the the WHO are missing the mark on this. Disappointing, mm-hmm. but very good of Jonathan to uh, yeah. um, to raise the question. Absolutely. So, talking of medical studies, 
and figuring out what to believe and where. Our final story in the news article comes to us from the Plus One Journal, and it's a a, a new paper uh, published uh, just in the last week or so, and it's Medical Decision-Making Beyond Evidence, Correlates of Belief in Complementary and Alternative Medicine and Homeopathy. First thing of note, the paper title seems to be separating out complementary and alternative medicine, CAM, and homeopathy, yes. which is which struck me as a little bit strange. Very but, strange. you know, Pontus, you sort of touched upon this earlier on, right? So the paper was written by Thielman Betch and Leonie Asman. Uh, is her name really Asman? Yes, it is. Maybe I'm pronouncing <laughs> it wrongly. Do I care? Absolutely not. Annika, you can correct me next week, right? But in the meantime, this is going down as the Asman paper. So I think that homeopathy is being specifically called out separately here because the authors of the paper are German and the popularity of homeopathy in Germany is such that it kind of stands on its own and it is, it is looked at differently or as a completely separate modality from other forms of complementary and alternative medicine. The TLDR version of this paper, folks, is people that have um, questionable belief systems are more likely to believe in the effectiveness of complementary and alternative medicine. There's nothing really surprising here. And uh, most of it is, I guess, confirming what has been seen in in other papers, right? But uh, let me give you a little bit of the preamble. Many people believe in and use complementary and alternative medicine to address health issues or prevent diseases. Empirical evidence for those treatments is either lacking or controversial due to methodological weaknesses. Thus, practitioners and patients primarily rely on subjective references rather than credible empirical evidence from systematic research. This study investigated whether cognitive and personality factors explain differences in belief in CAM and homeopathy. They investigated the robustness of 21 predictors when examined together to obtain insights into key determinants of such beliefs in a sample of 599 participants, 60% of which were female. A combination of predictors explained 20% of the variance in CAM belief, the predictors' ontological confusions, spiritual epistemology, agreeableness, death anxiety, <laughs> and gender. So yeah, there's a tendency um, towards the female end mm-hmm. to, to believe in complementary medicines more. That kind of goes with what we already know. And approximately 21% of the variance in belief in homeopathy, predictors' ontological confusions, illusory pattern perception, need for cognitive disclosure, need for cognition, honesty and humility, death anxiety, and gender and age. Individuals believing in CAM and homeopathy have cognitive biases and certain individual differences which make them perceive the world differently. Findings are discussed in the context of previous literature and in relation to other unfounded beliefs. So this is just the preamble to the paper. And look, if you want to read the full paper, folks, it is... Very sceptics friendly, right? It's definitely giving the right message here. But it talks about some interesting stats, right? In Europe, approximately 26% of the general population have experienced using complementary and alternative medicine. And that varies a lot by country. Um, Especially in Germany, 
Various mm-hmm. forms of CAM are used frequently and the most favoured is homeopathy. 55% have experience with the use of homeopathic remedy. That's huge. Only approximately one in four, 26%, report a refusal in using homeopathic treatment. So I think this shows exactly why they're separating out homeopathy here, right? Mm. German, you know, you, you had some interesting homeopathy stats, right? German pharmacies in 2018 turned over approximately 542 million euros uh, with homeopathic medicines. Sugar pills, sugar pills. There's a lot of money on sugar pills. I know it's terrible. Um, And in many studies, the focus was on socio-demographic variables and it was found that primarily middle-aged, well-educated women use CAM uh, and homeopathic treatments more than the rest of the population, right? Uh, reasoning skills have also been correlated with CAM use. Reasoning skills? So, so, so yes. that's implying lack that people... Of. Yeah, well, the lack of. Yeah. So implying yeah. that uh, people are more stupid? No. Uh, well, because uh, that, that's I, I, that's very controversial. Because I, I that, think that we, is controversial, we, yeah. we, we, It's been argued that smart people... And I really mean smart people with the high IQ. They are better in convincing themselves to believe in bullshit than others. Mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's true, but it's been I, I, that's what I've heard. So maybe it is that they were having higher reason skills. Ryan, did you check? Uh, no, I, I didn't. I didn't flesh. <laughs> that it was out. just a correlation. You didn't see if it was a which way a causation. Yeah. 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 Um, one of the most common and invalid assumptions in medical decision-making is confusing correlation or coincidence with causation. For instance, attributing a random effect to a treatment without testing for a causal relationship. Additionally, people tend to perceive illusory patterns in random events. So this is this is essentially just showing us here some people are wired a little bit differently from the average sceptic and it's going to have an effect, right? Ah. Also, certain beliefs they have outside of complementary medicine is a correlate factor, right? Previous studies showed that CAM believers tend to also believe in paranormal phenomena and conspiracies. Paranormal beliefs are usually built on a magical worldview without reasoned review, and that's very much shared by by complementary medicine. So, so I get, I guess, if if you are a person who do not value asking for evidence for something, you want to go with your gut feelings instead. Then you will probably end up believing both in spirits and ghosts and homeopathy because you don't think that uh, logic is that important. Yeah, and I think you are it's the type of person who is more likely to be swayed by a personal experience and not be aware of the biases that that we have that can kind of, I guess, Mm. confirm your beliefs, right? Mm. So, I mean, essentially to summarise, nothing new to see here, folks. Um, If you have other beliefs that are not based on facts, then you are more likely to believe in the efficacy of complementary and alternative medicines and homeopathy, according to this study and other studies that have been read previously. So keep that in mind, though, folks, if you are having discussions with people who believe in this sort of thing. What what they class as good evidence or reliable information is not the same as you. And you're going to have to take your time and take the long way round if you are going to attempt to talk any sense into them. Good <laughs> luck with us, with those conversations. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, then. Uh, that is going to take us to the end of the news stories. But before we close things out, we are going to go to another segment, which is really wrong or really right. Which is it, Pontus? Please tell us. <laughs> Well, today we're going to have a really wrong again. It's more... Yay! Ger- more... Or should I, should I say boo? Boo! <laughs> boo, maybe. Well, it's more German nonsense, I'm afraid. And this time regarding anthroposophy. So anthroposophy... So much German nonsense on this show when Annika's not Maybe here. that's the title for this episode, German nonsense. We can do that when Annika is not on the show. So Perfect. Yeah, it'll teach her to stay away. Anthroposophy is, of course, a scam as well as what we've talked before, a so-called alternative medicine. It's just like homeopathy in the way that it's from Germany. And in some ways, it's actually inspired by homeopathy. But it also has its root in the theosophical movement in the early 1900s. The founder was called uh, Rudolf Steiner. He was into angels and reincarnation and dancing and all kinds of magical thinking. Dancing in the way that you can actually learn and become more healthy uh, from dancing. And he wasn't talking about the physical exercise. It was more on a philosophical level or something like that. Okay. Yeah, anyway, Thank he had you for clarifying. Yeah, well, <laughs> so I mean, no what I want to clarify is that's quite okay to dance, but don't believe that you will um, evolve into a better human being spiritually by dancing. But anyway, I'm di- I'm digressing. Steiner had a lot of ideas about medicine, but also about farming and education, very busy guy. Uh, many may have heard about the Steiner schools that were named after mm-hmm. him. They're also known as Waldorf schools in some countries. It's the same thing. But we should remember that Steiner had no formal competence in any of these areas. He just made everything up as he went along. And he is, of course, long gone, but the anthroposophical movement and the ideas are still around. Uh, one problem of all scam, including anthroposophy, is credibility. Since these methods and ideas don't have science to back them up, they are rejected by by the real thing, by science. Getting to the story here, there is an anthroposophical Stiftung, or foundation in Germany, that is rather confusingly called Software AG. But I don't know if this... I've tried to look this up. Where is Annika when you need her? I don't think... I mean, if if this was a German word... Spelled like that, I would pronounce it Software. So maybe it does mean something totally different in in German. Who knows? Anyway, this Stiftung, they managed after years of lobbying to get a professorship approved at a prestigious medical school in Berlin, which is called... Hogwarts? No, it's it's funny you should ask. It's called Charité, which sounds very French. But there you go. I don't Ooh la know. La. Oh la la. So it's from it's in Berlin. So Software AG, if that's how you pronounce it, is one of the largest foundations in Germany overall. And according to Wikipedia, it has an annual funding of about 25 million euros. And it has assets of over 1 billion euros. So they have a lot of bargaining power. And they managed to get one of their own doctors quote-unquote doctors, installed as a professor at Charité. And the strange thing is that they managed to tweak all the rules to their advantage. First of all, they managed to have only one candidate for this position that they 
wanted the, the school to create. And the rules are that there should be at least three and there should be votings. But they only had one and they tailored the job description so that it only fitted on one person as well, their candidate. His name is Harald Mattes, and I think we've mentioned him before, actually. He is the head of an anthroposophical hospital called Havelhöhe Hospital, and I know we've mentioned that one. That's the first thing they did. Then they managed to minimize the number of hours that this guy has to spend at the medical school. So he only shows up there, here it is, two hours per week as a professor. Do you know what? I'm, I'm with him on that. The less time he spends there, the better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. That may be a good thing, but hear me out. So every time Harald Mattes is uh, cited or shown in the news, which he is because it's sort of a prominent guy, he is labeled now as a professor of charité. However, the, according to the agreement, it says that the professorship should always be mentioned as being funded by Software AG, but they don't pay him. They don't pay his salary. He's, he gets his salary. This is a bit complicated. The, he gets his salary from the Havelhöhe Hospital, which he's the head of, of course. This pretend hospital as well. But the medical school, uh, the Charité, it pays Havelhöhe to cover for the salary. So they say in all the, the publicity that this is the anthroposophical movement one way or another, is paying for this professorship and they are paying his salary, but then the medical school reimburses them for the expense. So it's all fraud. <laughs> Some creative financing <laughs> yeah, going on there, very right? Good. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm impressed. The whole result is that anthroposophy gets the recognition that they don't deserve. And this deal was struck way back in 2017 and it was to go on for five years. And last year, it was renewed for another five years. So now, finally, somebody is waking up. And that somebody is a news outlet called TAZ. Uh, it's T-A-Z. So it's a, an abbreviation, TAZ. They have started to write about this and question what the hell is going on here. So maybe uh, we can put an end to this eventually. We never know. And I have no idea how this medical school charité was conned into this nonsense because they're paying for the whole thing. They don't get anything except two hours per week. And this Mattes guy, he gets all the credibility of being a professor at their school there. So for, in this fashion, legitimizing anthroposophy, I will give the charité medical school in Berlin this week's prize for being really wrong. How did they agree to this? Yeah. We need we need a wealthy benefactor on our side. How good would it be, Professor Ego, right? Yes. Professor Two hours of skepticism. A week. Two hours a week. Well funded. Excellent. Mm. But this maybe maybe Patreon can help with that. Yeah, as go well. to patreon.com slash D E S P if you're interested. Yeah, just for for the record, none of the Patreon bucks comes in my direction, folks. So I'm looking for a separate wealthy benefactor. Okay, <laughs> reach out to me separately. Please, well, you okay? got a mug, didn't you? The ESP mug. I did get a mug. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I've been oh. called a mug on many times as well. Ha. Okay. So that brings us to the end of the show. We're just going to finish things off as we normally do with a quote. So. Uh, this week's quote comes in the form of some lyrics from a song. 
I am not going to attempt to sing the lyrics of the song ah. because we don't want to lose any more care for what you wish for. We don't want to lose any more listeners. So this song is by uh, an artist that I really love. Uh, his name's Frank Turner. The song is called Get It Right. I actually wrote an article for the Skeptic magazine a while back about songs that have a sceptical message in them, and this one was was on it. I was going to give you one of the verses and the chorus. Okay, good. Last night I had a vision of people being congratulated instead of ridiculed and hated for admitting that they made mistakes. Take a breath. Try these for size. I don't know. I changed my mind. So I love that. Love those lyrics. It's, it's spot on scepticism about intellectual humility. And uh, and it talks to uh, a fair amount about the um, sort of somewhat aggressive dialogue that frequently goes on in, in social media and the like, you know. And this is a call to rationality and a call for, uh, you know, open and polite discussion. So um, yeah. check out the song, folks. It's a tune. Yeah, and always be prepared to reevaluate your position because you may not know everything about everything. Very likely you don't know very little about everything. I As we've demonstrated in this show. <laughs> listen, yeah. to, listen to the outtakes and you're going to hear the incredible amount of humming and eyeing. <laughs> yes, it's a good theme. I just gave a talk the other week, the talk that I gave, and I called that Nothing is True. And what I mean is nothing is true in the sense that absolute truths do not exist. You should always be prepared to question everything. Of course, you have to assume certain things. I assume, for instance, that uh, gravity will work tomorrow as well as it does today. So I won't try to attempt to leave the building from the second floor. But, you know, things like that. You have to assume that things probably work like they usually do. But don't be afraid to question everything. And uh, if people are telling you that this is an absolute truth and you cannot question it, then uh, something is very wrong. Absolutely. Okay, let's call time on the show then. Folks, hope you've enjoyed the show. And uh, hopefully normal service will be resumed next week and you won't have to listen to me. So, Well, thanks for coming along, Brian. It's always fun to have you. Thanks. Get up, yeah. <laughs> All right, hello. Vislat. <laughs> Vislat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. Ba-doom, buddy. Ba-doom, 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 ba-do
managed after years of lobbying to get a professorship approved. Uh, no. A professorship. A professorship. It's very hard <laughs> it was word. approved by Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm afraid I have this word uh, several times in this fuck. So I don't know how it's going to go. Well, that's on you, mate. Good <laughs> luck. That always sounds dodgy, by the way. Be slut. It sounds like you're, you're like slut shaming somebody. Yeah, maybe. Hopefully it sounds better in, in Hungarian. In Hungarian, I hope so. <laughs> I, it, I, either that or Andras has been very inappropriate every week. Yeah, well, that it could have been. I, mean, I don't know, maybe it'd be a long, elaborate prank on the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be running an amazing long game if it was. That would be so cool. 